0: Every school year, there are so many conversations about the quote-unquote best way to teach fact fluency. And while good and bad is ultimately in the eye of the beholder, we can say that there are some common questions teachers ask when vetting a resource or approach, such as, how long is this actually going to take me to prepare each week? Or what are the differentiation options available? And also, we're thinking about how will this fit into my already packed schedule? Well, Dr. Julie Dixon gives us real-time answers to all of these questions and more in episode 47: Engaging students with fact fluency. Welcome to the Kids Math Talk Podcast, where in each episode, we give parents and educators practical tips and insights that will deepen mathematical understanding while also encouraging the conversation about math to remain active and positive. I'm your host, Desiree Harrison, Elementary Math Coach and Kids Math Talk Founder. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Julie Dixon. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you first, just to get us into um, what we're going to be talking about, can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself?
1: Sure. As you know, my name is Julie Dixon. I am a professor of mathematics education at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida, so UCF. I'm also an author on HMH's mathematics series, Into Math, Go Math, and Waggle. In addition to that work, I am a leader in DNA math, which uh, is a a group that provides professional development and professional development books, like the Making Sense of Mathematics for Teaching series. But probably what I'm most proud of is that I'm a co-author with my younger daughter, Jessica Dixon, on A Stroke of Luck, A Girl's Second Chance at Life, that describes the story of my older daughter, Alex, and her journey to and from stroke.
0: All right. Thank you. So today we have you on the podcast to um, talk about your newest book. And so we have the Fact Tactics Fluency Program, and it's building reasoning skills for multiplication in grades three through six. And so the first question to get us started is talking about how There are a lot of different programs on the market now. Um, It seems like when I'm on social media, every time I scroll, I get ads for some new fantastic add-on, something that I can incorporate it either in my classroom or just in my personal life with students or children that I know. And so given that, will you talk to us about the main goals of this program, and also what makes the Fact Tactics Fluency Program unique.
1: I will. And you're right. There are a lot of programs out there. So when looking for a program, you want it to meet your needs. The needs that I think this program meets are ways to develop Mathematical reasoning skills while focusing on fluency. We spend so much time working on fluency with basic facts that I don't feel like we get enough return on the investment of that time in the ways that we're, we're engaging in that activity. And so one way that fact tactics fluency is apart from others is through its clear focus on building reasoning. By that, I mean that we have opportunities to apply properties of operations, like the distributive property of multiplication over addition or over subtraction, the associative property of multiplication, the commutative property of multiplication, all in meaningful ways. So it's not just notes on the properties and what do the properties look like. It's using the properties to develop understanding and ultimately fluency of basic facts it's also manageable so it's a program because i provide these 20 weeks of facts in a way that teachers can digest and prepare for without too much outside time
0: i really liked what you said about being manageable and i want to come back to that in a little bit i also want to talk about um this idea of connecting reasoning and fluency and just even hearing you say the word fluency right now, it makes me think about how fluency has become this gigantic buzzword in math education, especially in that elementary math space. And not to say that it's not important, but because we use it so much. And so it's become how we use that term so loosely now that we don't really have a, a robust understanding, I think, as a collective elementary teacher world. It means so many different things to so many people. So having this connection of um, reasoning with fluency, it sounds to me that that can help bring some definition and some like concreteness to what we actually want students to be able to do and to understand. So as I was reading in the front matter, and I just have to say to anyone listening that it's not the typical type of program. When I think of the word program, I think of lots of boxes coming to my classroom that I have to unpack and unwrap and then try to like put together and no, that's not what this is at all. Like, including the index, this is 134 pages. And w- inside the, that 134 pages, it's a paperback book as well. So it's like easy to carry around. And everything that you need all the reproducibles, all of the for the actual facts, for the assessments, it's all in there, like tightly packaged. So Um, It's not this, like, overwhelming thing that we usually associate with programs. So I just wanted to make that clear, too. But inside the program, there are six tactics. Uh, So two of them that I find the most interesting are the linking tactic, which assists students in making sense and deriving products, and also the assessment tactic, which emphasizes teacher data collection. So can you talk to us about how a teacher might implement these specific tactics?
1: I sure can. So starting with the linking tactic, the linking tactic is so important to the idea of the program. So we have these 20 weeks and each week focuses on a different fact and it's partner fact. The partner fact is just the fact that that uses a commuter property. So for example, six times seven and seven times six, that would be fact and partner fact. But those facts are presented in a very specific order. That order took me, you know, like the 10,000 hours to develop the order of the facts so that students could use strategies from one week in the very next week as they were trying to derive or use strategies to derive the next fact for that week. So in that way, The practice and engagement students experience in one week is further reinforced in the very next week because they're going to possibly, probably use strategies from the fact they explored the week before. So say one week is three times six. Well, say the next week is four times six in this example. They don't always go uh, from... One multiple to the very next. But in this case, I've just used that example. The students may use strategies from three times six to derive four times six. Say they use the strategy of two times six and then doubling it to get four times six. If they'd used two times six, add another six the week before. Well, then we're using the two times six strategy two weeks in a row, but in different ways. Or they could say, well, I know three times six, I can add another group of six again, linking from one week to the next. So the order matters so that first, students just don't add another group, go to the next multiple every single week, but they have to think. But second, the strategies they've used from week before are reinforced and applied in future weeks. So that's linking, this linking tactic. The assessment tactic has to do with how the teacher collects data with where students are in their fluency and ultimately automaticity in a formative assessment process so that the teacher can use the data they collect to determine the experiences students need in future weeks of the program. So I made these mini assessments. Each mini assessment uses five facts. The facts will include the fact for that week plus facts that they've used in previous weeks or derived from previous weeks. So the student can say, I just knew it and gave the product, or they can describe the fact tactical strategy they used to get to the product. So not only is the teacher collecting data on where students are, but the students are reflecting on their process to say, I know this fact well without thinking about it or I can get to this fact, but it took these sorts of strategies to get there.
0: So when you were talking about the linking tactic, it made me think about well, well you stated that the order matters, which is, you know, very apparent in this book and in this program. Um that also makes me think about how having that intentionality decreases the cognitive load. And I believe you mentioned that in the in the book as well. And just how you're not thinking, you as the teacher, and then by extension, the students aren't thinking about all of these individual multiplication facts. If you use the linking tactic, that greatly decreases the overwhelm that you might feel because you can make all these relationships and use all these different strategies to help you figure things out. So I see that equating to anxiety being decreased on the part of the student and on part of the teacher in trying to help students to build toward automaticity for all of these different multiplication facts. And then for the assessment tactic, when you were talking about your half sheets. that And I love that they're half sheets because then that saves paper and it's just easier to manage as a teacher. So when you have these five facts, the kids can either check, I just knew it, or they can write that I use the facts tactic strategy. That reminded me of the Math Pack book series that you also mentioned in this book, which just... Uh, in terms of developing a common language and um, building like strategies that are productive and and practices that are productive. So it's just um, so many great pieces that are embedded into this program. I actually should, should say so many great pieces embedded into the into the design. And the design of the program also takes into account that every single minute matters in a classroom and that teachers have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of different subjects to prep for. And again, when teachers hear that word program or new program, Their uh, their blood pressure might might start to rise and thinking about like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I going to have to do to be able to implement this successfully in my classroom? And this is just not a lot of prep work. It's not a lot of extra planning time. And it makes me think of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear and how one of his principles is in for in the formation of a quote unquote good habit is that you have to make it easy. And you make this easy. So you do say that you enter into this in grade three and after students have that basic foundation, so that after they know three times three, after they know their their two, so so that they're not entering in it like ground zero. They have like they have some background. But let's say that you know school a school has adopted this or two grade levels in one school has a um, has adopted your program so like third and fourth grade and so they're both really excited they know that it's not a, a lot to implement and they want to do this in the same school year and then year 2 so then the third graders are moving on to fourth grade they're used to this what are some ways to differentiate so that students aren't repeating the same facts in the same ways from one year to the next?
1: That's a great uh, question. So when I first piloted this program, as I was writing the book, I had a, a school use it and pilot it the 20 weeks. And th- I had thought that the school was going to only have third grade piloted but they ended up piloting it in third, fourth, and fifth grade simultaneously. So that was neat. And what we found is this first year they used the program, third and fourth grade looked really similar. And you alluded to that. You know, it's the second year after third grade has already had it. But for the first year, because often students don't learn their basic facts based on multiplicative reasoning and connections, they often forget them the following year. I know we've all experienced that if our students could just know their basic facts, things life would be so much better for everybody, but it's how we are um, teaching them that might influence how students remember them or not. So the, the first year, I think the experience will be the same for third and fourth grade and fifth grade. But after the first year, third grade will be a new third grade and they'll have this new experience but fourth and fifth grade, what I've written into the program and even sixth grade, what I've written into the program are these extension facts. So there will be some students who need the fact tactics and the strategies to learn their basic facts, but other students who know their basic facts, but may not have a strong application of those properties of operations, like the distributive property of multiplication over addition or subtraction for those students they might use an extension fact. So say we're focusing on four times six, to use an example that I think I mentioned before, and there's some students who know four times six without thinking. So if they already have automaticity, it's hard to convince them to use strategies because they don't think they need them. And then they don't have this need to make sense of the properties of operations. But if we give those students four times 36, unlikely that they know the product of 4 times 36 without thinking or without applying applying the standard algorithm. But if we challenge them to find the product without applying the the standard algorithm, well, then they might end up using the properties similar to the properties that the students who are exploring 4 times 6 might use. So one way I see students differentiate is uh, less time on the facts for each week for the students in fourth grade or fifth grade, and more time on the extension problems, the extension uh, challenges, which often involve multi-digit numbers.
0: Okay. Thank you for explaining that. And I'm, I'm making the assumption that it could be four times 36, or maybe it's four times 26, or four times 46. Is that correct?
1: So each week of the the first 19 weeks, it's a different problem. And the problem has some sort of connection to the focus fact for that week. On the 20th week, the challenge is for students to come up with their own problem.
0: Oh, okay. And then another part that we haven't mentioned yet is how at the beginning of each week, you as the teacher with the students are developing a web of strategies that you can then have on display as an anchor chart of sorts in the classroom that centers the the facts of the week and then different, like the focus facts with the partner facts in the center, like in a center circle. And then you have all these spokes with secondary circles going around that um, emphasizes different strategies for solving the focus facts So that could just then be where um, at the end of the 20 weeks, they're possibly developing a web for themselves too, or maybe even working with a small group to develop their own web.
1: Absolutely. And so as you mentioned, with each week, there's this web to introduce the fact for that week. I provide examples of those webs for teachers, but the goal is for teachers to facilitate a conversation with students where they come up with the strategies each week. I provide those sample webs because for some teachers, coming up with these strategies is less comfortable. And you talked about the need for, um, you know, helping teachers with planning time. Teachers are working harder, I think, than they've ever worked ever. And we need to do something support one another and to support instruction for students. So I provide the samples just for comfort level. If a student doesn't come up with a strategy that you really would like to have in the web, you might have students turn and talk to each other, pull them back and say, I heard someone say this strategy. So the students still think the strategy is coming from their peers, but the teacher's providing it and maybe providing it from the web that's in the fact tactics book.
0: And that's so important for building a strong math identity and for just like student empowerment. So I really appreciate you saying that too. And the examples are really helpful. There's some strategies that I naturally gravitate toward when I'm solving. So it's nice to see some examples of what I wouldn't think of. Like if I, if I sat down for you know, for an extended amount of time, I could come up with different ways, but it's nice just to have that to help you brainstorm. Continuing to talk about this, the web and just the building of ideas and the co-creation with your students of this, of this web each week There's this one aspect of the program where you, we've talked about, you've, you've mentioned it before about the reasoning skills and the incorporation of reasoning skills. And I know that many programs on the market uh, emphasize skip counting and drawing groups of objects and using tally marks. And not to say that those aren't strategies or that, you know, there is no like Good versus bad is just more effective potentially versus less effective. Or in this case, you talk about how uh, you want a heavy emphasis or there should be a heavy emphasis on strategies that um, promote these reasoning skills, whereas the skip counting, et cetera, promotes memorization and additive reasoning. So can you just go over the difference between additive and multiplicative reasoning?
1: I sure can. And I sort of love that word multiplicative. I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) (laughs) So if we think about what our goals are in elementary school mathematics, you mentioned already students' identities and agencies as mathematical Learners, which is so important. We want to see students and want them to see themselves as successful in mathematics. And part of that is being successful in algebra. So so much of what we do with number helps students in preparation for algebra. When we look at the experiences related to number that help students with success in algebra, those experiences are based in multiplicative reasoning. And by multiplicative reasoning, I mean the sorts of work we're doing that's connected to applying the properties of operation, commutative property, associative property of multiplication, distributive property of multiplication over addition or subtraction. When we work with skip counting, we are memorizing, skip counting to me is almost like literacy in that we're memorizing ways of saying something. So we count by fives, it's a chant, five, 10, 15, 20. It helps us to get to the answer, but it doesn't rely on these properties of operations. And it's okay to use it, but it's not okay to stay there. And so you might learn, a student might learn their fives and their twos by skip counting. Once they develop automaticity with those, then we can use those products with these properties of operations and multiplicative reasoning to get to all the other facts. And so twos and fives are facts that I need students to know before they begin this program because we have to start someplace. When we're working with multiplicative reasoning, we're deriving facts from other facts. That means students have to have something to start. So if they know their twos and their fives, they can use those to start and then apply multiplicative reasoning with those to get to other facts. Skip counting's not bad, it's just not enough. Drawing is necessary, I think, to to help students understand what happens when we multiply and think about groups of objects. Or repeated addition helps to provide this important connection to what we do in first and second grade to what we're gonna be doing in third grade. The difference though is, in first and second grade, for example, if we look at five plus five, well, let me use a different number, six plus six, both sixes refer to the amount of stuff. Change that to two times six. The six is the amount of stuff. The two is how many groups of that stuff we have. So multiplicative reasoning is based on those numbers meaning different things. Additive reasoning is where the numbers mean the same thing and we use it over and over again. So the reasoning is different. How we apply work with the numbers is different and the experiences when we focus on multiplicative reasoning helps to prepare for algebra. We have to stop enabling students to use tally marks along the side of every page to get to the answers because that's the strategy they have. We need to start there and say, wow, that was really helpful. But now what can we do so we don't have to draw all those tallies so that we move past that?
0: I think it's important what you said about how that, you know, students are where they are and that it's important for us to acknowledge and celebrate where they are. But also it's our job to help push them to that next level of sophistication and thinking back to um, if we as teachers are thinking along the lines of learning progressions, then we can say like, okay, these are some strategies that they have right now. And then let's continue to develop those strategies because we have to think about the purpose of why we're teaching math in the first place. Because if it's just to pass a, pass a test, then perhaps tally marks are fine because that's going to get them to the ans- the correct answer for a test. But if the reason why we're teaching math is to Help, the, help students to view the world differently or to help them solve problems for their own life or for, or for the world or for their community, then uh, we're going to want them to have some other, some deeper reasoning skills to be able to just think on a more sophisticated level. So I see that as um, when we're thinking about the difference between additive and multiplicative reasoning we as teachers need to reflect on our own beliefs and philosophy about the teaching and learning of mathematics and what really matters to us because ultimately we have a lot of power in the classroom and you know there's some things that might be mandated to us by our district or by our school when we're still in front of kids though the implementation of that is often impacted by our beliefs and like our like our beliefs are gonna impact our behaviors. So we really have to know ourselves too.
1: I love that. And I love the importance you've just placed on beliefs and our beliefs in our students. One aspect of this program that I want to highlight is that the facts and the way we approach the facts end up having low floors and high ceilings because students can come to the fact with strategies that are accessible to them. So a student may use a similar strategy from week to week to get to the different facts because that's where they're comfortable. And eventually a teacher can say, I see how you use this strategy, use a similar strategy the week before and the week before, can you come up with a different strategy? But which is fine, but at least the student was able to come to the task with something of a place from a place of comfort for them. And and we need to help just as we think about teachers and supporting teachers with something that's implementable, right? and, And digestible. We also want to think about the same thing for students, right? Students, I'm finding that we're hearing more and more stress in students' lives. And so what can we do to bring comfort for them so they can bring their strategies to the to the classroom discussion and be included. So I value that. And I think that you can find it in the program.
0: Absolutely. You can. And even with the having the, the lanyards or name tags or the, the clips, whatever you're going to put, because part of the reproducibles is where you give each student the focus fact, and um, which also has the partner fact on, it's a smaller version of a index card, but that can be put into a badge holder or something, so that as they're going around the school, it becomes, um, it goes back to the math pact idea and how it's a community effort and not just an individualized effort. So as they're Walking to lunch, or as they're going to specials or something that, and an and an adult who's not their teacher sees that, then they can engage in a conversation with them to ask them what their strategy is for solving six times seven, or you know whatever, whatever the fact might be. But then that that also to me brings math into or closer into the real world because then it, it's stepping; it's not just inside their classroom. It helps them realize that they can have conversations about math outside of that one space sure.
1: and um, thank you for noticing that, that the influence of the math fact, because the math pact had influence on my thinking as the authors have had influence on my thinking for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. So I had the pleasure of interviewing them for episode 30 of the podcast and It's a phenomenal book as is yours, but I just like, I see so many connections and I just want to make sure that those are highlighted. So I've started presenting on
1: the fact tactical fluency program, and I've also started tweeting on it a bit about it a bit. And I've had a few direct messages from people who want to apply the program in the middle school. So when I was thinking sixth grade, I was thinking sixth grade situated in elementary schools, but now middle school teachers are saying, you know, we have students in some of these foundations classes, especially who really struggle with their facts. And so we've been exploring ways to apply this program in an intervention class, in an intensive math class, where teachers will be with students for maybe 45 minutes and part of the week that they're with them or a few minutes of each of the days, they focus on the facts and develop fact fluency because it's not too late in middle school to support students to develop reasoning skills. We, we can use the facts that will help them in so many other ways later to help them to feel comfortable with the foundations, the properties of operations that they were exploring in their middle school um, standards. So that was a neat extension for me and one that I hadn't thought about when I was writing the program, but readers now see the application.
0: When you were talking about having this as a part of an intervention class, I just have a question in relation to activities that emphasize the focus fact throughout the week, does that include gameplay?
1: It sure does. It includes gameplay. It includes what might happen at a center where students can engage in the review tactic during, which is one of those six tactics of the program in a center as they're gaining comfort with past facts and and revisiting them as well. So absolutely, there's a space for an idea of gaming. Another, uh, you mentioned intervention, I guess we both mentioned intervention. Another important aspect of this program is that it is absolutely appropriate for students who struggle in mathematics as well. So I mentioned when I uh, shared a little bit of my background about A Stroke of Luck. So A Stroke of Luck is a book that I wrote uh, with my younger daughter about my older daughter who had a stroke when she was 12 and she had to regain and relearn all of her academics starting as a 12 year old. Uh, she is now older. She's 26 now, but that process of helping her to make sense of mathematics as an older learner uh, influenced my thinking in this program so that she had access to the conversation so that she could develop the reasoning necessary for her to succeed later in life. And so now she's a paraprofessional in a preschool and helping her students to make sense of mathematics in meaningful ways.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So I just want to thank you, Dr. Dixon, for being on the podcast today and for sharing this wonderful Fact Tactics Fluency program with us. So we got some snippets, but if you're listening, make sure that you actually go to the website through Solution Tree to check out this program. So thank you, Dr. Dixon. Thank you. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Keep the Kids Math Talk conversation going. You can always tweet me with questions or comments using the handle at Kids Math Talk. You can also head to my website, kidsmathtalk.com slash podcast for previous episodes. Leave us a review on Apple or wherever you find your podcast. And join us next time for another episode of Kids Math Talk.